Hi, Alka. I'm so happy to be with you here today. Um, this is Karen Henson-Jones, author of Heart of Miracles, and our good friend Tyson Cornell put it together um, because he thought that our work was really similar. And I was really fortunate that um, Tyson sent me your book, The Ohm Factor, a few weeks ago, and I have to tell you, um, this is really the kind of book that I can carry with me all the time and everywhere, and you can just open it up to any page and find something useful in it. So the name of your book is called The Ohm Factor, A Woman's Spiritual Guide to Leadership, Seven Essential Tools and Seven Key Traits to Cultivate for Your Success and Well-Being. And uh, what I have to tell you is I just loved about this book is, like I said, you can really open it at any page and there's something inspiring um, there or something very useful for you. And it's something um, that really teaches women how to take take care of themselves even in their busy lives. Um, could you tell us a little bit about your inspiration and how you decided to, to write the book and select your topics? Sure. And thank you, Karen. It's, it's an, it's an equal pleasure for me to be here with you. I, I, you know, in, in getting your book and hearing about even just frankly hearing about you and your, your story, which I can't wait to talk about and ask about, um, I, I, I could see all the synergies and everything. So thank you for that great introduction. And I would love to talk about the Ohm Factor. Um, let's see. The Ohm Factor started with me feeling all those things that I talk about, right? So I, all those, uh, I, I, I pinpoint, I talk about seven key emotions um, and seven key traits that I think that we all feel and the traits that we need to cultivate and I could never find uh, a book or a person or anything that could help me deal with those emotions, such as feeling anxious, which I'm sure a lot of people feel, or indecisive, or uh, resentment and anger, these types of things where I could deal with them in the moment. There were many things out there that taught me how to, you know, uh, journal perhaps, or go to a therapist maybe and uh, these types of things later, um, but never in the moment. So I started to find that I was um, through my own learning and teachings from my background. I come from, um, from India and a lot of through my teachings and through my experience and then my experience in the corporate world, I found that I was using a lot of very specific things in specific situations. And then I realized, you know, I need to share this with other women. And then I realized after writing this book that not only women are loving it, but men are loving it. So Mm -hmm. men are saying, Mm -hmm. we still feel that we feel anxious, we feel overwhelmed. And so it was kind of, um, it kind of came, it was birthed from duress. (laughs) So it was, um, and, and I just wanted to share it with everyone. And then I also realized that there were seven, uh, key traits that you need to kind of cultivate so that those situations don't come up as often. And when they do come up, you can respond and not react to them. So that's Mm. kind of how Mm. it came about. Um, I really liked your portion on holographic healing, actually, because, um, you know, know, there's a lot of stuff that that floats around in in the healing world and self-development and stuff like that. Um, But holographic healing is not something that, comes up too often, and I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, uh, and thank you. And yes, it doesn't. And I was 
blessed to meet Dr. Brent Baum in, at Miraval. And um, in the book, there are a couple of chapters that are actually written about my experiences there in Miraval because they were so so profound and life-changing um, and truly set me on different paths as, as these things do for all of us. Um, it is so cool because I was dealing with a very, very, very traumatic loss at the time. And what holographic um, healing, which is what I like to call it, uh, does is it takes a memory that is very traumatic on you know, um, in cases of the victims of 9-11 and people that are, have been, suffered rape or um, death experience, near-death experiences even, such as what you've experienced, um, or, or tragic, tragic deaths or untimely things that have happened in your life that, that you can't really uh, put in a box and put away. And it doesn't go away. It just it gets buried somewhere and it manifests in the, at the worst times and times mm. when you don't even know it's mm. going to come up, right? When you're taking things out on other people, when you find that, oh, when you go near a river, all of a sudden you have a panic attack and you don't know why. You'd never had that near water before, but maybe yet you did. You know, all these types of things, they come up because they make these Im- these memories make an indelible type of imprint in your, in your soul um, and in your chakras and in your being. And we don't, we can't see them. And so what happens is with this, with this technique, which Dr. Brett Baum developed and he has helped many, many victims, as I mentioned, the nine 11 victims and so many victims uh, globally. Um, and there are many, and you can, you can look this up and there are many professionals that have been trained in this type of healing. And what they do is, they take that memory and they reframe that memory on a cellular level so that the memory does not go away, but it shifts to a very different, more healing and more positive framing so that it does not leave that type of a a very... um, debilitating imprint on you and you can then you, you move through it and what I've what I've been able to do is and it's miraculous because that tragic death that happened and it was very tragic it it, it is now where it moved to such a beautiful place within me mm. and my, my my view on that now now it's not that if you've been raped that it's going to be that you've never been raped before now that's not what happens it empowers you, though, where you are no longer going to be a victim of that, that which happened to you. You become in control of that, and it becomes a very healing experience. I recommend it to everyone to at least look into, because it really, it really changed the way um, things were, the way I was dealing with that loss, because I, you, know, you, you can end up in the emergency room, you can end up with very... The stress manifests very horribly in our bodies. And so uh, that, I, I just think it's beautiful. So thank you for bringing that up. It's a, it's a great thing for people. Yeah, there's a lot of great things um, in here. And I think something that you just brought up was something about how stress manifests in the body. And um, for me, I feel, I feel like, um, you know, just working with a lot of people over the past few years, um, 
so many women in, in corporate positions, they have um, signs that are starting to manifest in their bodies that they either ignore or they live with. Um, kind of like, you know, chronic skin conditions, there's chronic reproductive issues, you know, no, nothing, something, so uh, nothing that's going to stop their life. But um, could you could you talk about how, you know, stress can manifest itself in the physical body and why it's important to take care of it as, as soon as you start to see the physical manifestation and, and how you can take care of it, which is a lot of the, the things in your book is you give solutions um, as to how you can heal these things as they arise instead of letting them grow and become bigger. Uh, absolutely, and uh, and thank you for bringing that up as well, because this is what is so important. And here is where I think the rubber meets the road, right, with women and men. With men, I feel, when men are not feeling well, you're going to know it. You're going to hear about it. It might be in the paper. It might be on the Internet by that time, because they are very, <laughs> a lot of men are not very equipped, I feel, um, to deal to deal with that type of stress in that type of a situation when it comes up where you feel like you can't control it. I mean, I've, I've just seen very strong and powerful men crumble with a headache, you know, mm. and mm. let alone anything else. And, and I know this is a big statement, but it's a, it's a true statement. And I think a lot of people would agree with that, but, um, but you have women and women, I mean, you know, they're, they're you know, I happen to be Hindu. And, um, and I was born a Hindu and I am a Hindu and, uh, we have a lot of goddesses, right? And there are a lot of incarnations of, you know, that, that, that we have. And there's a reason for that. There are, there are many manifestations of God, as we call it, um, in Hinduism, where you're talking about a goddess of wealth, the goddess of intellect goddess of well-being, all of these types of things that are out there. Because women can, you know, their women are, are, are they're giving birth to children. They're bringing life into this world. And what happens is when you're doing these types of things, whether or not you have children, you are managing multiple things at multiple times, and you don't get a pass on dropping any of those balls, I feel like. When we're raised at a very young age, and even as a, as a young girl, I happen to have come from a family of, you know, my, I have two other younger sisters, and my parents raised us to be very, very independent. And, um, but, you know, there's still something there, and I think there is in, in, in a lot of families with younger girls that, you know, that's fantastic that you want to be a doctor. It's fantastic you want to be an engineer. That is great you want to be a businesswoman. That is amazing. We support you. However, you know, you've got to be a good sister. You've got to be a great mother, a great wife, a great and great at what you do. And you've got to look good doing it, right? You can't drop any of those balls. <laughs> and I feel like that's yeah, a it's ton true, of pressure. It's true. It's, true. it's a ton uh -huh. of pressure, you know? And what does that do? That manifests in distress because you've got to look good. You've got to do all this. And then you're, and you're not dropping any balls. And then, and then, of course, you're going to manifest into a lot of things. Like you mentioned, the reproductive issues will come up. The, I mean, oh, my gosh, even cardiac issues come up. Uh, 
diabetes. I mean, it just, it's just, it's awful skin conditions. Um, it, it, the list goes on. Oh, insomnia. Has anyone ever not slept? You can't concentrate. Well, oh, and people go to the dentist because they have jaw pain from all of this. And you don't know why you think, oh, you know what? I'll, I, I don't have time to stop and deal with that because I, I have my family or I have my, or, or not, or, and I have this and I have that and I can't do it. So why I thought it was so important to share these techniques to use in the moment is that when you are able to deal with things in the moment, they don't start to manifest and build this wall up in your being okay. and where, it's, mm-hmm. where then it turns right. into something. So that's why. That's what I would like to say about that. So, and I mean, you know, and I have to say this, um, Karen, you know, for you, when I was just even hearing about you and with the Heart of Miracles, which I, first of all, I love the title. We must discuss the title and I need to know where that came from. But, you know, with your experience, which if you're open to talking about that, at the age of 30, to have that happen to you, I mean, I would love to hear how that came about, what happened and then the, the miracle or to me, what is a miracle of what you experienced when you were on the brink and in between, which, which if you'd like to talk about, I would love to hear. Um, I, I, I'm fascinated by that. Sure. Um, well, the, the title Heart of Miracles, it kind of um, came from sort of like a saying that um, I, after I had this heart surgery, I started studying meditation to help me to recover. And um, there was a guru who's the teacher of my teacher, and he had sort of like a, a phrase. Um, and it said, when every beat of the heart gets into prayer, then the heart creates it, mm. then it creates a miracle. And mm. so that's when I started thinking like heart and miracles. And so my book, Heart of Miracles, it starts with me having a near-death experience um, right before I had an, an unexpected, unplanned emergency heart heart surgery. And then that's the catalyst for a spiritual journey that I go on. And the book is filled with stories of miracles. And so you, you get a lot of miracles, like coincidences and little things that are just sort of woven in, um, things that happen in life or a lot of stories that other people's lives where you stop and you think and you kind of go, hmm. And it's just um, a reminder of the of everyday miracles that can happen in our life and the miracles that can happen due, due to prayer. Um, but what it started off with, with, with what, what happened was I was diagnosed with a heart condition. Um, I had been living in London and I worked in a bank and, and I, I flew to Washington DC to visit my parents and, and I had a cardiac arrest in a restaurant and I was told that oh I had gosh. a genetic heart condition and that, um, that I should get a pacemaker implanted. It's called an ICD, which is a pacemaker that also has a component of a defibrillator. And I was told that the, the operation was extremely safe. And, you know, you sign the papers, and I think it's any time you have any kind of surgery, you say, okay, blah, 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 you sign this, you know, or you understand there's a risk of death. And I understood that there's a risk of death, but it never occurred to me that something could go wrong and I would live. All I'm thinking is that I could die from having this operation, but not that I could wake up and be disabled. It didn't, wow. like, it didn't even cross my mind. And so I, I went in, um, I had, I had the operation done. Um, it only took about an hour and a half. I had the pacemaker implanted and right away I knew something was wrong. 
And I kept on telling the doctors I was sobbing, I was crying, and I said, something's wrong, something's wrong. And then they were like, well, of course you're in pain. You just had a metal box put into your chest. What do you expect? Go home. And so um, so, so I, I went home. And when I went home, I, I injected myself with blood thinners, which were part of the protocol. And when I injected myself with a blood thinner, then I completely collapsed and I actually died. Um, I wasn't breathing. I didn't have any pulse. And, um, and then I was, I was brought to an emergency room at a different hospital because this one was closer to, to my house. And, you know, the ER doctors are trained in, in ER methods, but they don't really know much about pacemakers. And, and this particular pacemaker, I had had it buried very deeply for cosmetic reasons, which is what most women normally choose to do. So it was it was highly problematic because these guys didn't know what was going on. They thought that I could have had a blood infection, and I, you know, I had I had died. I had been then they revived me, and 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 you know, all of my my vital signs were were just sinking there. I was almost really in this in this area of what the land of the shades, the shadows, or something. And this is where the miracle comes in. So this is the beginning of the book. This is so interesting. I mean, the miracle was that I was saved, but what had happened was. Um, like I'm in the ER, I've been there for a few hours, I'm dying, I asked my mother if she wants a priest, and, um, and uh, they had left several messages for the woman who had the original doctor who did the operation, but she was, she was, she was on call and she wasn't picking up her messages, and they weren't able to get in touch with her. And it was a weekend, and these were all ER doctors, none of them were cardiologists, none of them were pacemaker specialists. It just so happened that there was um, there was a cardiologist who was a pacemaker specialist whose office was on the hospital campus. It was a few buildings away, and he had come in on the weekend literally to catch up on paperwork. And huh. he had um, decided to get up and go for a walk when he ran into his colleague in the hallway. And his hallway and his colleague said, "Hey, if you feel like walking, I parked my car just by the emergency room." So he was walking through the emergency room, and this is interesting. He's Indian, he's Sikh, and he wears a turban. And the ER mm-hmm. doctor said he read, he saw the guy's turban from across the room, and he he grabbed the guy by the arm. And he said, "Hey, you're a cardiologist, right? Because can you help us with this girl?" And so not only was he a cardiologist, he was a pacemaker specialist. Not only was uh-huh. he a pacemaker specialist, but he had studied underneath the original the doctor who did the original operation. So he was able to call her right away. And he was able to say, what did you do? What device did you use? Where did you put the wires? All of the information that he did to make the next surgery to save my life. So, um, And at this point, so are he, you dead at this point, Karen? Are you dead uh, at this point? No, I, I, the, at the point where I was clinically dead was, um, was where, when I was in my parents' house. And then they called the ambulance okay. and they revived me. But I was in a very, uh, um, I was in a very, very grave like I would say, yeah, I could see that my body had already turned yellow, and oh, wow. I was like barely okay. able to breathe. And so um, everything had had what had ended up happening was that um, they didn't know it at the time, but there was there was a wire from the pacemaker that's supposed to surface of the heart, and it went too far mm-hmm. in, and it actually punctured the atrium and, and caused a tear. So when I injected mm-hmm. myself with the blood thinners, the tear that was already bleeding and might have normally healed on its own just started to bleed profusely. And it literally, um, it literally um, drowned my, my lung and my heart area um, to the point where they, could, they couldn't function anymore. 
so um, miraculously, I, I, you know, I survived by that miracle. If that doctor hadn't been there at that time on that weekend, then I would then there would have been very unlikely that there would be a successful intervention. Um, but they were able to, to intervene, but it wasn't such a clean intervention. It took a lot of trial and error, and it took a lot of repair work. Um, and and I ended up leaving, I think, with over 20 incisions. And I had an open-heart surgery. I was in a medical coma for three days. Um, and then, you know, after this thing happened, three days later, I woke up to the coma, and I didn't know what had happened. And it was sort of, like, explained to me piece by piece. Um, so that's sort of the beginning of the journey. And then, you know, it's the story of how I was completely disabled. You know, I've gone from being um, like a total career woman. I had like a super cool job, actually. Um, I worked in, in a bank for film finance. I was at the Cannes Film Festival. Kind of like ego-based, like a word Dolce & Gabbana. I love to shop and, you know, take weekend trips in Paris. It was a very privileged life and very independent, very, very, very independent. And I probably didn't even talk to my parents, you know, all that much. And um, all of a sudden, I'm 30 years old, and I'm completely disabled, and I've lost everything because all of my um, savings had to go to, you know, to my medical care and aftercare. So I've lost my career, I've lost my friends, I've lost social life, I've lost any physicality. I can't even walk, I can't even write my name. Um, and so it's this idea of, um, you know, there's so much identification with who we are, what we do, what we have, what we look like. And when you lose those things, it really faced with, with, with realizing, okay, who, who am I? And then you start life over again and you have to think what's important to me. If, if I was given a second chance of life, you know, knowing I'm going to review my life at some point, um, how would you start to live it? And I think that changes, it sounds kind of corny, but it changes the game totally because you live with so much more consciousness. Like, okay, I've been given a second chance. Like it sounds so corny, like almost like a movie or something. And then you really start to think. Um, so, so that's the start of the book and that's, that's what happened. My gosh, the beginning of your book sounds like the book, you know what I mean? And you're just talking that it's the beginning. I mean, if that doesn't make anyone want to run to Barnes and Noble or go on Amazon and order this book, I don't know what will. I mean, I, I'm at the, I'm at the edge of my seat right now waiting for you to tell more because it just, it is so amazing because when you. When you're listening to you, just as an outside person, I'm sitting here listening to you speak, and you're articulating such a profound experience that is an end, the end of the road for so many, and you are just, you're here, and you're sharing, and you're giving all of us this gift, and I just think it's beautiful, so thank you, first of all, and second of all, how is it, how did it, how did it change you? What are you doing now, or what are what are you doing differently and, and, and how has it changed your life and how um, you live it? It changed, it changed my life massively. So, so basically um, what had happened is I was in such a desperate situation. Um, you know, I was, I, I did not know how to heal my body. I did everything that the medical doctors told me and everything in the Western medical system and it didn't work. And it worked, but it wasn't a full healing, so I couldn't get back to, to being a normal person. So I was doing nutrition, physical therapy, all of this stuff, but the body was still um, not healed. I still had a lot of, like, extreme chronic pain. And this is after three years, but, you know, it's, like I said, I had three heart surgeries. And yeah. um, 
and I was still really young, so I was 33, and I was super depressed, and I didn't know what to do. I was like, I was like, what's going to happen? Am I just going to like be like this disabled person? Because I, my whole social life was like, whatever my mom's social life was, should take me with her to places and stuff, but I couldn't do anything on my own. It was really mm. bad. And um, and I have a sister who's just a year and a half younger, and you know she's my main companion, and she was living in LA at the time, and she was super stressed out about my situation and she was doing everything she could like to, to go out and help. So we were like pushing the boundaries more like, and it started first, it started with Eastern treatments like acupuncture and Reiki and stuff like that. And then, um, and then, and then we, and then she started to meditate to control her own stress. And she's like, this is what you have to do. And she's like, positive thinking is not enough. You know, 10 minutes a day is not enough. You have to come to the center and you have to go to the center for 40 days and really change everything all your cellular memory, everything in your mind and your body. And so that was the beginning of, of my potential for healing. So um, I went and I met these teachers and then, um, and then I continued the studies in India where you're from. And, mm-hmm. and that was the turning point because I thought, okay, there's this technology here, which is essentially, it, it I think meditation is a technology, and then you know you can also combine sort of. Uh, I love Tibetan Buddhism stuff. With Tibetan Buddhism is more about the ethics and the principles of how to live your life. And this this is the food that I I needed to make this turnaround in my life. But it's not just for somebody who has a physical illness. It's for anybody who's experiencing any kind of brokenness, or anybody who's experiencing like life is just okay, but I want to taste more. And so it really changed how I lived my life because I had teachers who'd helped me and transformed me. And, and I owe it very much, a lot of it to them. And then after that, I, I thought, oh, this, why don't people know this stuff? They're not people of my generation um, who are, or not many people of my generation who are, who are really vocal or teaching or, you know, reaching a broad enough audience. So then I decided that I was really just going to work for um, the expansion of of these of these techniques, which is meditation and higher consciousness, which is thinking um, to live more compassionately in a more ethical, highly principled society, um, which is which is what we all say that we want. But very few people will take the leap to say, "Okay, I'm not going to, you know, um, I'm going to live at my parents' house and write this book, which is going to teach this." It's, it's very hard <laughs> for people to do to sort of give the right. you know to give off the spoil. Uh, but that's how it's changed my life is that I'm an author now um, and I'm very devoted to to this this quote-unquote stuff as you call it um, and uh, yeah life is very 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 different so wow that's beautiful thank you for sharing that that is just I I am telling you I think also the way that you've put the book together and, you know, it, it really encapsulates synchronicity and synchrodestiny to me. You know, when you read it and you're reading not only about you, but hey, there's people can relate because it's, it's, it's your story that brings you in. And then there's other people's stories that are woven in, as you say. And I think it, it's very relatable because all of us have had those situations where you think of somebody and then they call or you're, you know, this person was there at the quote unquote right place at the right time. And, and a lot of times we don't pay attention to those things and we just say, well, wait, let me go back. We don't even notice them a lot of the time, but those of us that are on the, 
on that conscious path where you've had these types of experiences happen to you and you start to see a pattern. And I promise you, if you write them down, write down those coincidences, you will see a pattern, which I encourage everyone to do. I think then you come to the place where you are. And I think it's beautiful that it becomes very relatable to people that they'll be able to read your book and say, hey, my gosh, you know, I experienced that too. And then it can bring them into a more mindful and conscious way of of living and, and also maybe provide even a roadmap on how to do that through your story, which I think is great. Yeah, it's super relatable and um, and it goes all over the world. So it actually goes from India to Italy to Bhutan um, and Israel. And so you meet these characters um, and they've, you've got these anecdotes of these little snapshots of their lives. Um, and the stories are really charming. You know, if it's about like finding love after a divorce or, um, you know, like a cab driver who hates girlfriends who's talking about his, who hates Arabs who's talking about his girlfriend. And it's just, you really see that there's, um, <laughs> you know, that, that, that people from all over the world are very much the same. Everybody wants the same things. Everybody finds the same things extremely funny. Um, and it does give you this hope because it's like you see ordinary people having miracles and you realize that this can be for you too. And, it's sort of like this message, um, you know, that salvation is available for for everybody. If you just open your eyes or put out like a quick thought or a quick prayer to help create it. Um, or sometimes, you know, no matter how negative you are, you're just going to get lucky and something's going to drop into your path. So it's just this idea to, you know, that, that um, you know, to keep going, put one foot in front of the next because luck is sort of going to meet you halfway. And um, I think the book is filled with a lot of reminders of that. I completely agree with that. I completely agree with that. And I think, you know, those reminders, and I think the colors that you put throughout the book of, you know, bringing into these beautiful places, I mean, beautiful places you describe in the world and these people that are not so different from anybody that would pick up this book and read it um, in any capacity. I just think that that is, that is where you can relate to things and that is where you find the hope. And, and, and you put, like you said, one foot in front of the other. And I think that's what it's about. I think that when it's when we reach our, like the bottom, which I hate when people say the bottom, I don't know about you, because I feel that there is no bottom. It feels like this abyss. It keeps going and going and going. And you don't really have a bottom when people say that. Um, but, uh, but whenever you decide to, you know, stand that at whatever point you're able to do that, whether physically, mentally, or emotionally, I think it's nice to be able to have something like your book or like the Ohm Factor or and the Ohm Factor. I think they go very well together. So I think where one where one stops, the other one kind of picks up, which I think is really nice. Um, mm-hmm. I really I, I noticed that actually as we're talking, because when I see your stories and and the things that you're talking about on on how that, you know what, you can do this. And miracles are, not only are they possible, they are here and they are available to all of us. All we need to do is access them and know how to go within and access them. You know, the foundation of the Ohm Factor also is meditation, but it's done in a very different way. It's it, And so I think that what's beautiful about this is your book, it, it takes you to where you're in those places. And then with the Ohm Factor, it's okay, how can you implement implement these things and not let those roadblocks come in, right? And and if they do come in, 
while you're trying to manifest your deepest desires, use these tools, right? So I think the book, both the books are very compatible and they kind of go together. So I, yeah, I, you know, I just funny, think it's I great. Yeah, sitting next to each other and I was going to take a photo. I said, they even look good together. <laughs> the cover. Yeah, you know what? The cover, <laughs> they really do. Actually, I was, and I love that. I was thinking the same thing. They actually look good together. But the, <laughs> but the more beautiful thing is they go together. And I think that, and that just shows so much about, um, you know, you and I both happen to be women, but the story is just, it's not unique to women. I mean, everybody has experienced these things or will experience these things at one point. And it's nice to be able to have something to just, you know, pick up on your nightstand or read on your Kindle or whatever it is and, and go to it. So I think it's beautiful. Yeah. So um, I was just curious of that. Um, do you teach at all? Like, do you teach these? You're the CEO um, of a very successful company. I was wondering um, how you incorporate this. Um, with your with your staff, and you know, if you have a program or a workshop or something, and if you plan to, to sharing that or using it in in other companies, or is it just starting out just with the book? Actually, the book is kind of um, it's kind of a handbook now. I've been I've spoken to a lot of Fortune 50 and 100 companies about the own factor where I've taught. Um, courses on the um factor where I'll go in and either do a one hour workshop or a half day workshop or a day long workshop in in corporations, nonprofit organizations, schools, universities. Um, and then, you know, one-on-one depending on, you know, how that, how that goes. Usually it's a group of people, but, um, but where we kind of go through, depending on the amount of time that we have, we go through and I teach, uh, you know, how to do, um, the principles of cultivating and increasing your own factor and how do you do that? Because everyone has their own own factor. It's just about raising that vibration and how you go about doing that. And so the higher, the more that you can get to a state of responding and not reacting, you're, you're raising that, uh, your own factor. So that's where that even came from. And I noticed, uh, I noticed it's in so many people that, I'm sure we both know, like the Deepak Chokers of the world, the Ariana Huffingtons of the world, Diane von Furstenbergs of the world, um, Steve Jobs even, um, while he was in the Manifest Habitus, where you kind of, you sort of see these types of people and they, they kind of saunter into a room. They don't even walk. It seems like they're sauntering in and they have this magnetic energy about them. And it seems that they're going a million miles an hour, but yet they're at a pace that is just beautiful to watch. And it's, uh, that fascinated me. And I started to see, and when I was talking with all of them and, uh, all of them have a foundation of meditation, you know, yeah. uh, as part of years the practice. Years of work. It's been years and years of work. I mean, I've been meditating since I had a very uh, tragic experience happen to me, when, you know, um, uh, when I was about 23 years old. And I think that at that time, that's when I went back to meditation. And I had always learned it because I'd see my father doing it on the banks of the Potomac River. And I'd see him, you know, doing it there. And I thought it was crazy. And um, it's it's at those moments, right, when you feel you need it, you reach back and you're toolkit and oh my god what do I have and so in my case I was in, in and out of the emergency room for 30 days and nobody could find out what was wrong with me 
Um, you know, one day I couldn't walk, one day I couldn't talk properly, one day my heart wouldn't work, one day, you know, and then they concluded that after 30 days of stress and I just, you know, Karen, I looked at myself in the mirror and I said, I need to walk down a different street. I need to do something mm-hmm. different. So I enrolled in a yoga class that day. And at the end of that class was meditation and it reminded me. And so from that day on, I've never, I've never looked back and I've been meditating for a little over 20 years now. So it's uh, it's beautiful. But, um, but one thing I will say about meditation, I think is great. And I go through it in the own factor is that I really feel that um, in my experience, and I've noticed this and there's studies on this, that it does not matter as much how long you do meditation and what meditation is. I think people imagine a person sitting on top of the Himalaya mountains meditating with their shirt off or whatever, but it's not it, right? It's, it, 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 it's not so much how long you do it. It's how consistent you are with the practice because mm-hmm. you know, don't you agree? Cause there's people that do it for an hour a week or two hours a week. And they come to me and I, oh, God, God, meditate for an hour today. It's fantastic that you did that. What did you do yesterday and what are you going to do tomorrow? You know, I'd rather you do two minutes a day, five minutes a day, whatever it is. And I start with two minutes um, in the book and kind of explain how to do it. But um, you will notice, I mean, people that have done this, I just said, give me a week of doing it two minutes a day. And every single one of them that have done it have come to me and said, my gosh, I feel better guess what this happened I closed this deal or oh you know what in my relationship this happened just by that and then it's addictive you want to do more and more and more like you started to do and you go deeper and deeper and it's just a beautiful journey that you go down wow so Alka was in on the phone for 45 minutes <laughs> I didn't even realize this <laughs> I feel like I I just looked down as you were talking and I and I was just like oh my gosh I don't even know where the time went it was, so Karen, tell us how, I tell everyone, because I could talk to you for hours, how can we find you? How can we get this book? How can we connect with you if you're offering any type of workshops, classes? Are you on social media? What, where, how can we get to you? Okay, um, you can find me on social media on Facebook. I have a fan page, Karen Henson Jones. Um, I'm also on Instagram, Karen Henson Jones. I have a website, KarenHensonJones.com, and um, you can find me through all of those things. Um, sign up, you know, like it, follow me, sign up for my newsletter. Um, you can order Heart of Miracles. is available now through Barnes & Noble, through Amazon, Amazon Kindle, all major ebook readers like Google Play, iTunes, um, and it, it's in a lot of bookstores as well, and any bookstore can, can order it for you, and it's also on HayHouse.com. Um, and, but definitely like sign up and follow on social media because it will give you information about my next book that's coming out soon too, um, which is actually about, about, um, being with the Dalai Lama in a monastery in India. So something super unusual that I was able to bring up. <gasps> I can't wait. Yeah. It's really, it's really fun. It's really fun. <laughs> it's really like super surprising, like filled with twists and stuff. And oh, so when you okay. ask me, how has your life changed? This is, <laughs> this is how my life Yeah, I, I, I think you answered that. Oh, my God, the Dalai Lama, I cannot wait to read this book. I'm sure everybody that's listening is just, like, writing down all your information and 
When is when is the book coming out so we can all look for it? Um, you know, I'm not sure yet. I'm still working on it now. So um, okay. I'll, Perfect. as soon as possible. So, um, so yeah, and then there's some stuff on YouTube as well. There's a, it, you know, a trailer for the book so you can get a vibe. It's got a lot of um, footage from the places that I went to and the talk on you, um, at Google. So, um, yeah, just check it out and, and really looking forward to connecting to everybody. And, and same for you. Super. Oh, I'm, I'm so excited. I cannot wait um, to connect with you more. And I'm also looking forward to this new book. And you know, now you've really piqued my interest. Uh, so the Ohm Factor, you can follow, you can like my fan, fan page at Alka Dillon, A-L-K-A-D-H-I-L-L-O-N. Uh, follow me on Instagram at The Spiritual CEO. You can follow me on Twitter at The Spiritual CEO. You can go to my website at Alka Dillon, A-L-K-A-D-H-I-L-L-O-N.com. And you can order the Ohm Factor on Amazon. You can go to Barnes & Noble. You can get it on Kindle and in bookstores as well. And if it's not there, if they can order it for you, it's the same thing. I told you we have so many similarities. I would love to connect with everyone. I'm very active on social media and you can kind of follow uh, what I'm doing and where I am and things like that. But Karen, it was so much fun talking with you. Really. Yeah, it's so great to talk to you. It's like an old friend. It's like an old friend. It's really great. <laughs>